listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. So, when I first went to a meditation uh, center, this is is a few years back, uh, I was amazed at how scared I was the very first time I ever went. Uh, So if some of you are new tonight and you're totally freaked out by all this, you're in great company. Uh, It shocked me, first of all, how quiet everybody was. And it also shocked me how uncomfortable I was <laughs> with the quiet. And I mean, a lot of that's just personality. I'm a total chatterbox. Uh, and it's gotten a little bit better as long as you don't talk to my wife with all this meditation practice. Um, but the silence provided this very interesting, uh, an open container. Not the bad kind that gets you arrested, but an open container for the practice. That just being quiet forces an observation of what's really going on. And that's what this is about. I had a a lady tell me, she said, the whole practice is really just about uncovering and then living from your true nature. I had no idea what that meant, but I just, it sounded pretty good, so I kind of stuck with it. So I'd encourage you, if, if what I say tonight or some question that comes up just goes right past you, forgive the question, the questioner, and the person answering the question. Just kind of stick with it. See if just little drop by drop by drop you get sopping wet with this teaching. It's pretty cool. It's, um, it's Zen-inspired, I sometimes like to say, even though that's kind of a, mis, it's kind of a misnomer. Uh, I do consider myself a Buddhist, but after getting pressed on that a little bit this last uh, weekend in a conversation, I guess I also consider myself a Hindu, a Christian, a Muslim, and a Jew. So pick your poison. Um, project all you want. <laughs> it's, it's all pretty much the same thing. All talking about the same stuff. We're all here to uncover that which is true. That which is true in us, our true nature. And then living right next to that truth always. We usually get exposed to that the very first time. It's super duper quiet. When it goes past just being peaceful. You know the Eagles song, I got a peaceful, easy feeling. You know that? I always love that song. But it's that it's more than just the peaceful, easy feeling. It's the peaceful, easy feeling that begins to kind of hold us. Okay? It's the universe dying to connect with itself through us to just cradle us, just hold us, and we suddenly start to recognize, my goodness, I am always infinitely supported by the universe. I'm given exactly what I need to evolve. That's kind of 
kind of jarring, but I think so true. We are each given exactly, precisely, 100% everything that we need to evolve. We are not guaranteed, not given everything we need to make us happy. A lot of stuff gets taken away that we don't want to be taken away. A lot of instability meets our experience day to day. There's a lot of uncertainty. What stillness and quietude gives us is a certain, over time, a certain comfort in that inherent instability of everything. And then we live from there. Then we live from our true nature. So, sounds pretty cool, right? Uh, how do we do it? Well, a couple quick pointers, okay? For those of you that are, you know, been meditating with me or on your own for the last several decades, you can take this or leave it. For those of you just starting out, I'd rather you lean towards the taking, but you can leave it also if you don't want. Watch your mind when you sit tonight. We'll sit for roughly around 30 or so minutes, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Okay, it's usually just right in there around 30 minutes. And you will find usually that in this practice, you just watch your experience, watch your mind, watch for thinking. And any time thinking comes up, all I want you to do is silently just note thinking. Don't evaluate it. Don't, and I'll, let, I'll show you how it can be really obvious. Thinking, damn it, thinking, okay, that's real obvious, right? Don't let, it, don't let your observing mind do that. Just observe, just thinking. Be curious about it. Oh, thinking. Different than even sometimes the subtler versions, which can be like thinking. Now, I'm not mad about it, but somewhere under there, there's a little bit of disappointment, right? Okay, just, just watch, just watch, thinking. And if you feel like going a little bit deeper than that, it's not just thinking, it's either the thoughts are either something that has already happened or something that hasn't happened yet. It's past or it's future, okay? It's a memory or a plan. I tell this sometimes, I had this, uh, this teacher in Thailand who had this amazingly thick accent and he would say that uh, it's remembering or cooking. And I went, cooking, 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 what? And what he's trying to say was cooking. They were cooking. Our mind is doing one of those two things. It's remembering or it's cooking. Here's where it can't go because it loses all functionality in one particular space, the now. In this present moment, the mind is absolutely meaningless, okay? It's me it just doesn't have any meaning because it can't hold on to anything in the present moment. And so what it does is it turns the present moment into nothing to consider. There is either past or there is future. That's where it'll go. It'll create that situation. Watch for that, okay? Now I'm gonna give you a huge hint 
okay? So I'm sure there'll be tons of Satori's tonight, tons of un unsurpassed, penetrating, perfect enlightenment experiences tonight. <laughs> All you, the pressure's on. All you do is just watch that mind go into a memory or go into some type of cooking, and that watcher is your natural state. The watcher is your net, that which is just aware. It doesn't evaluate, it is just aware of the experience. That's your true nature. That's your natural state. And it's equal in you and the person sitting next to you. That awareness, it's infinite. It's always been, think about it, just not too much. But let's take us back into a memory. Remember a time when you were aware. Were you ever injured, either emotionally or physically? Can you remember being aware of that injury? Not how did you feel about it, I'm not asking that. I'm asking, can you be aware of what that feeling was like? That awareness has not shifted since whenever that was to now. Have you ever been in a situation where you were really stressed or worried over something that hadn't, hasn't happened yet? Can you remember the awareness of that feeling? Not the feeling, but the awareness of that feeling? It's like moving this far back from the experience, just watching the experience. In that awareness, in that awareness, that simple, elegant, effortless awareness, there was that watcher that observer, that witnessing presence. That's your natural state. That's you when you are awake in that space of purity. And when we, through like a stillness practice, begin to bring that conscious purity into every single moment, even when it gets really, really torturous, even when it's really, really, really amazingly beautiful, Suddenly, we are Buddha, okay? That's just to put it in Buddhist terms. If you want me to put it in another term, I could do that too. But it's, that's when we, literally, we, we begin to walk the change we've always wished to see in the world, okay? Now, if there are questions, watch them. If there's curiosity, just let it be there. Let it all be there. I also wanted to mention one thing. There's a shortcut to this process that I think uh, Westerners hate, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. Um, and that is to, uh, we have uh, meetings or interviews, or in Japanese we call it dokusan, which means one mind, and that's where one person at a time I meet meet with people during the meditation. So like, let's say Iris and I, let's say we were, we're not tonight, but like, let's say it was, uh, it was her turn, she was gonna, she signed up for Dokusan. That meant that she just emailed me at some point in time during the week and assuming that I have time, I'll either book her for this, this sitting or next week. And then she would come in roughly for 15 or so minutes, okay? She and I would talk. She comes to the meeting with the burning question. And the more intense that question, the more it burns, the more you're willing to die for its answer, the more kick butt usually 
the interchange is. I don't have an answer to give Iris. It is not confession, <laughs> it is, it, despite the fact that it probably sounds like that, okay? But it is a chance for Iris's question to meet my wonder, okay? And in that moment, there's dialogue, okay? Have you ever noticed how like a log, one that's burning and then another one that's burning and they're just kind of low, low grade glows and then you put them next to each other, you, you ever seen what happens? If you bring those two logs together that are burning just a little bit, you get a much bigger flame. And that's exactly what we try to do effortlessly. We don't even try, I shouldn't say we try. We just try, we just try to meet each other in that space. You might have very, very specific things that you're, you're working on, okay? So let's work and see if we can get the teaching to apply exactly to what it is that you're facing. And watch what happens. There's a reason why this work has been fairly popular for the last several thousand years. Okay, it changes lives. And it's nothing that I do. It's nothing that the teaching does. And it's also nothing that you do. It's all those things brought together that create that space for it to happen. So I just want to encourage that. I just want to cordially invite you. All right? Okay. So there was this guy I used to work with uh, on this stand-up comedy circuit who was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And he'd hit kind of this interesting plateau in his career. And he said, you know, the hardest thing, the hardest thing, and I was just like this MC. I mean, I'd go up there and do 15 minutes and he'd go up and do 45 minutes to an hour that was just beautiful, it was beautiful to watch this guy work because everything was just kind of improv or so it seemed. And he could just take a room and slowly but surely just get him right into the palm of his hand. It was beautiful to watch, real art. And he was an artist. But he was at this plateau, he was trying desperately to break into uh, Hollywood uh, to do some sitcoms and so forth. And he said, God, Mike, you know the toughest thing the toughest thing is to get comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. And I really think he spoke such wisdom in that moment. And it's always stuck with me. I will always remember that conversation for the rest of my life. Not that it really necessarily took his career anywhere or my career. Look at me. Uh, but it was just this remarkable remarkable reminder. What does it take? What does it take to get comfortable in our own skin? Warts and all. To be able to not just look in the mirror and say, you know what, my butt's just the right size. Not just that, but to be able to say, you know what, when there's no mirror around, it's okay. It is okay.
Where does that fearlessness come from? Where does that fearlessness come from? Carl Jung says the most terrifying thing is to accept oneself completely. The most terrifying thing is to accept oneself completely. So whether you're getting it from Dr. Jung or some stand-up comic of the early 1990s, it's, it's right there, folks. That's, that's, we recognize that fear is our limiter. Fear is the limiter, and fear is the ego's constant companion. Fear is the mind's constant companion. So I wanted to talk a little bit about fear kind of from, uh, from 60,000 feet, okay? And I'm going to talk about some components maybe next week or the week after because I'm hoping that our quick discussion on fear will spawn some, some, uh, some dialogue as we do our Q&A. So I'm going to read to you from um, a soon-to-be-released book by some author. Uh, who is trying desperately to get comfortable in his own skin. Fear is ego's constant companion. This is because ego's role in our life experience is to defend itself against all perceived attacks, and as long as the ego sees itself as separate from everything, it will always fear the potential of attack. Every one of these potential attacks could mean annihilation to the ego. It defends itself Excuse me, it defends against this perceived death threat in two ways, by seeking the things that make it feel secure and by avoiding the things that threaten it with death. Okay? By seeking and avoiding. It wants to avoid death and it wants to seek the things that are going to preserve its life. What's more, ego will do all it can to remain threatened so that it can keep its job. No matter what type of psychological work we do to get rid of our pain, there is ultimately nothing that will make the ego feel secure in any type of permanent way. Ego finds itself perpetually on the move in search of a lasting peace that it will never find since its activity is the very impediment to peace in the first place. As much as ego can't stand this situation of constant threat, it, or what we might call the small self, is right at home in this perpetual and exhaustive search for peace that it will never find. It may not be comfortable, but the constant fear associated with survival is deeply familiar to the always threatened ego, and this familiarity is something that it can cling to and thereby feel safely at home, feel like it can understand, feel like it's dealing with things that it can grasp. But this sense of safety is forever only temporary. This dysfunctional and depleting search in which ego is running, even though it knows it can't hide, provides each of our circumstances with a structural foundation mixed and set with mortar made from an unlimited supply of desperation, of fear. If we think about it for a moment, anything we fear centers around the loss of something. Perhaps it's the loss of our life or another's, the loss of a livelihood, the loss of health, the loss of reputation, or the loss of mind. 
As long as any threat of loss exists, the ego can remain in control of our consciousness by endlessly generating fear and then seeking to overcome it. To be sure, loss can be very scary to us, but an enlightened perspective supports the growth of a different kind of relationship with loss. Instead of habitually clinging, instead of habitually trying to preserve the permanence of everything, the enlightened among us accept the fact that absolutely no part of conventional reality, this normal reality, will last. From the perspective of the big self, they see and accept that all things are impermanent, even though their egos or small selves would have them preserve, protect, and defend the status quo. Once this insight gets authentically integrated into their experience, neither seeking, nor death, nor gain, nor loss becomes particularly important to them. Your small self will always be concerned with bettering its circumstances, while the big self is totally at peace with exactly what's available. Your small self might see enlightenment as the main focus of its existence, while the big self can't see what all the fuss is all about. <laughs> I kind of like that line. I'll have to definitely keep that. Your small self might see... If any of you start writing prose, sometimes you'll surprise yourself. <laughs> Your small self might see enlightenment as the main focus of its existence, while the big self can't see what all the fuss is about. Your small self might fear losing control, while your big self sees that there is nothing to control in the first place. Your small self might see itself and others as being good or bad Buddhists, while your big self sees only Buddhas. Your small self might do everything it can to resist the loss of what it covets, while your big self sees that there is absolutely nothing to lose and never anything to oppose. Relaxing deeply into this realization of non-opposition, we begin to find the courage to stand intimately with everything that is unknown. I'll say that again. By standing intimately, we fearlessly generate this space in us that allows us to stand fearlessly in the middle of everything that is unknown. In this meeting lies our greatest potential gift. Not knowing is often the same thing as surrendering to whatever is offering itself in this present moment, which ironically for the ego puts each of us close to enlightenment itself all the time. It is precisely this... At this very moment of insight, we are invited to awaken to the in infinitely expansive heart of all existence. And as much as the ego fears losing its attachments, what the ego really fears more than anything else is an authentic meeting with anything that forces it off stage and brings the audience or our witnessing awareness in direct contact with itself. If this happens, our relationships to all things begin to radically transform. We are no longer caught by anything and nothing catches us, not even fear. Any questions arise? Yes, ma'am. Actually, I was wondering about this when I was thinking. 
during my sitting meditation, but then I came up with the, with your talk too. And so my understanding is duality. There is no duality. Help us with what that word means to you, duality. What does the word duality mean That's to you? That's where I intended to go. So, I, I mean, I don't know. That's the thing. Okay. I, I'm, I'm understanding duality as being present and not having, you know, just being present. Right. Duality is neither this nor that. It's not one, and we, we say this in Zen a great deal, it's not one and not two. Right? Ooh, that clears it all up for me. Well, well, but think about this. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? The whole purpose of, have you ever listened to like any of the Zen koans and everything? I mean like the, boy, they're, they, they're all about like slamming the brakes on as your mind is getting ready to, you know, running with it. Oh, I get it. I get it. Your Heisman, you know, your, the Heisman mind, which is my next book. Uh, you're like, you know, the Heisman mind. And then what happens is suddenly, boom, you're stopped. Okay. Now, in the stopping of the mind, you experience space between the thoughts. And that space between the thoughts is not ever confined by thought. It's what actually surrounds thought. It's what gives birth to thought. Okay? It's not one, but it's also not two. The space between your thoughts, that stillness. And when I speak of stillness, I don't mean like, ooh, look, Lake Tahoe is still this morning. Okay? I'm saying stillness that is radically penetrating stillness. No movement, no flinching. That may be even a better way to put it. You do not flinch from what is true, you do not avoid nor do you go after. You stay right with it. And in staying with it, the bottom falls away, the ceiling blows off, and what are you? What's left of iris? Infinite. Uh, and exactly, what is infinite? It's what? not one and it's not two. Get it? Everybody hear that? And you are that. So it's a two-part question. Okay. I got that part. What? Nanosecond. Now, now what are you going to do with it now that you got it? Let it very good. Very good. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> Let it go. Pick it up again. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do that? Yeah. So when then does compassion and rage coexist with being present? Mm -hmm. And I ask that from a practical point because when I, I don't have a teenage child, but you know I I, I can use that as a, an example when a, when a teenage child is going off and you want to just pop their head off. Right. The only reason you could ever experience rage, any of us could ever experience rage, is when someone else's unconsciousness or non-non-duality, their finitude as opposed to their infinite, tweaks our unconsciousness. Otherwise, there's no such thing as rage. What about generosity? Or what about Generos gen generosity is the natural outflow of non-duality. As you rest as the infinite, what does the infinite want more than anything else? It wants to, to see itself through you, right? And in that 
tender embrace, okay? And that tender embrace, your reflection, just like an infant's reflection to the world, is of total openness and compassion. It's totally generous, okay? In that moment. Certainly there are infants that are not generous. I know a few, and I'm sure I'm about to know of another, okay? But the idea here is the natural tendency in a place of openness is tenderness, is joy, is compassion, okay? The natural tendency in a place of constriction is unconsciousness. And that, taken to its extreme, is rage. Which is interesting, because so many wisdom traditions actually evoke rage. Anyone else? What's a wisdom tradition? Wisdom, uh, I, I sometimes use that in place of religion. It's a, uh, we, although we are practicing a wisdom tradition that I do my damnedest not to let get religious. Okay? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm hoping, I'm actually hoping with all my heart that what this does, and not just me, but I mean all these other little centers that are springing up all around the country, the world, what they're doing is they're helping people deepen their own faith. Whatever, if you're a Christian, let this work that we're doing in here make you more Christ-like. If you're a Buddhist, let this work turn you into a Buddha. Don't let it turn you into a good Buddhist. That's just religion. That's window dressing. It's very superficial and very dualistic. Yeah? So this work is about becoming awake. It's not learning about how you become awake. It's becoming that awakeness. And if it's anything else, you're wasting your time. It's a waste of time. I dare you. I dare you and every other person in here, see what it's like to begin consciously surrendering to what actually is and then acting. Because if you're consciously surrendering to what is, you're starting to see the infinite crop up everywhere, in everything, in every moment. And as you start surrendering to that infinity, guess what you actually start becoming? Guess what you start embodying? The infinite itself. And as you start doing that, all right, you are Buddha. Whether or not you're a good Buddhist is superfluous. You become that big self. And the big self can't figure out what all the fuss is about. Yeah. I dare you. <laughs> we'll see you next week.